You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Lyceum is active against the oil and gas sector in the Middle East. Leaving government service? That nice offer from the headhunters you got on LinkedIn may be the beginning of an approach by Chinese intelligence. An autonomous car expert's been indicted for alleged theft of trade secrets. Imperva discloses a possible breach. Exploitation attempts against VPNs have been reported. And why did the chicken cross the road? The AI is not sure, but it thinks the chicken used LiDAR. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, August 28, 2019. SecureWorks has identified a new threat group active in the Middle East. They're calling it Lyceum. It may have been active as early as April of 2018, with some signs of activity in South Africa. But since late spring of this year, it's increased its operations significantly. It's currently engaging Middle Eastern infrastructure targets, specifically in the oil and gas sector. While SecureWorks says it sees some stylistic similarities to known threat groups Cobalt Gypsy, itself connected to oil rig Crambus and APT-34, and Cobalt Trinity, also known as Elfin or APT-33, it says that it can't connect either the malware itself or the attack infrastructure to any of those actors. Quote, As of this publication, there is insufficient technical evidence to support an attribution assessment. Other outlets are less circumspect. Bleeping Computer runs with Lyceum's association with Hexane, tracked earlier by Dragos. Technology Review calls a culprit, Iran. The campaign's goal is apparently espionage. Chinese intelligence services continue to use LinkedIn as a way of approaching people they'd like to recruit as assets. The New York Times reports that former government officials are attractive potential targets. Counterintelligence officials in France, Germany, the UK, and the US have all warned against the recruitment efforts. This appears to be an update of traditional espionage tradecraft, approach a potential recruit, establish some common ground, and proceed until they're too compromised to spit your hook. The hook is often a job offer, sometimes done through the cutout of a headhunting firm. The lure is often a trip to China, perhaps on a paid speaking, research, or consulting gig. From that point on, from the intelligence services point of view, it's all customer relationship management. Prospects who've recently left or are soon to leave the government service are particularly vulnerable. 
Not only are they likely to have information and, better yet, contacts the Chinese services would like to use, but they're at an unsettling point in their life, moving from a familiar government career into the unfamiliar private sector. Government agency HR and security people handling transitioning employees might take note. Some help is probably in order here, more than just getting them to turn in their badge and signing separation paperwork. One of the stars of the self-driving car world, Anthony Lewandowski, has been indicted by the U.S. attorney for the Northern District of California. Mr. Lewandowski, who had been a founding member of Google's self-driving car team, is charged with 33 counts of theft of trade secrets. It's alleged that a few months before he resigned from Google, Mr. Lewandowski downloaded company files relating to the company's LiDAR sensor and self-driving technology. He was arraigned in San Jose yesterday. It's a common practice in network defense to segment your network, to split it into sections to limit exposure, or perhaps to be able to dial in different access controls for different areas of risk. Micro-segmentation takes this notion to an even more sophisticated level. Peter Smith is CEO at zero-trust segmentation firm Edgewise. So micro-segmentation at its most basic level is just saying that you're going to create groups of systems and shrink the boundary just around those small groups of systems. And those groups of systems are typically aligned with either a type of data or a specific business application. So for instance, uh, you could plausibly create a micro-segment containing a variety of databases that all have the same class of data. Uh, And really the point is, uh, let's say it's a a replicated uh, Postgres database. Um, There's no reason to segment them out individually. Once you have access to one, you effectively have access to all of the data across all of the databases. So you're grouping them together based on their risk, based on the risk of a breach, and putting a perimeter around those. A different example would be to say uh, you're going to put a perimeter around a business application. A good example of that would be uh, I'm going to put a perimeter around just the components that make up my SharePoint infrastructure. And that could be a web front end, an application tier, one or more databases on the back end. And you're putting a boundary just around that one business application. So you can think of it as coordinating off data types or coordinating off business applications. And what are your recommendations for folks who want to get started with this? How do do you educate yourself and and, uh, figure out what the best approach is? You know, micro-segmentation is, uh, frankly, quite difficult. And what you need to do first is determine what your objective is. Is your objective to protect specific critical applications and their assets, or is your objective to fully segment the entire environment? Either way, you need to choose a starting point. And that typically centers around a specific application that you wish to protect. Uh, My advice, personally, is to start with your backup infrastructure. And I know that sounds counterintuitive. Why would you care about your backup infrastructure? But the reason you care about it is because it has every piece of protected information you could ever wish to protect. It is the most compelling target I can think of in the cloud or the data center. If you get into the backup infrastructure, you've got all the keys to the castle. It's also worth noting that most backup systems are effectively command and control systems. 
So to give you an example, uh, backup infrastructure has to deal with a variety of scenarios. I need to uh, quiesce a database before I back it up so that I've got a crash consistent copy of the database files. Well, to do that for Postgres, MySQL, uh, MongoD, Oracle database, MS SQL, they all have different commands that need to be issued. Do you think the backup software vendor builds special routines that only allow those individual commands to be run? Of course not. They've got a mechanism that allows you to run really arbitrary commands to do the quiesce functions, to prep file systems for backup, so on and so forth. And what that means is that if I can get into your backup system, I basically have entered the super highway of connectivity that allows me to command and control every system in the environment and access all data that is sensitive and precious to you. Uh, the last point I would make is that as you're exploring the world of microsegmentation, the backup infrastructure is a perfect candidate because it generally is not the primary supporting function of the business. If you happen to make a, a, a fat finger, per se, on the backup infrastructure, you're not going to take down the, the uh, revenue generating application for the business. So it's both safe, it's both a very big target uh, for both the command and control capabilities as well as the data that it holds. That's Peter Smith from Edgewise. Imperva has disclosed an issue affecting its cloud web application firewall, the product formerly known as Encapsula. The source and scope of the incident remain under investigation, but it appears to involve exposure of customer data through September 15, 2017. The company will release more information as its investigation turns up details. Imperva recommends that customers change their passwords, implement single sign-on, enable two-factor authentication, generate and upload a new SSL certificate, and reset their API keys. Pulse Secure is also reaching out to customers who may have been affected by the widely reported attempts to exploit a vulnerability in its popular virtual private network software, urging them to apply the patch that's been available since April. It's an interesting case. The patch has been available for some time, but the vulnerability drew considerable attention from hackers in the wild only after it was publicly discussed at Black Hat. Researchers at the threat intelligence firm Bad Packets reported that on August 22nd, they began seeing what they call opportunistic mass scanning for vulnerable servers. The scanning originated from hosts in Spain. Finally, the BBC takes up some breathless warnings that artificial intelligence is getting really good at writing fake news stories, and that the GPT-2 text generator, developed by researchers at OpenAI, is too dangerous to be let out in its fully trained form to the general public. Not only will it write almost convincing fake news stories, but it will even finish jokes in an almost convincing way. Emphasis on almost... The BBC's tests fell short of full conviction, although they do suggest that some human writers might well fail a reverse Turing test, leading readers to think, dude, you write like a machine, and don't mean that in a good way. It's also unclear how new this really is. The postmodern generator, for example, has been dazing and confusing complit and lit-crit TAs with bogus scholarly argle-bargle for a generation now, long enough, no doubt, for some users to have received tenure. But take the business of finishing jokes, please. The Borscht Belt has little to fear because the AI seems humorless. 
Here's what happened when the AI consultancy The Envisioners tested it on the old family of jokes that begin, A man walks into a bar. The AI thought this was how it should go. A man walks into a bar and ordered two pints of beer and two scotches. When he tried to pay the bill, he was confronted by two men, one of whom shouted, This is for Syria. That's all we'll reproduce because the rest isn't really suitable for a family show. Also, it's not funny. Now, a funny version would have had the guy talking into his hand or producing a small piano from his pocket, but anyway, share your versions among yourselves and maybe share them with the AI. The issue, some are saying, is that the AI is just trained by being turned loose on the Internet. Everybody remember Tay, Microsoft's attempt at artificially intelligent voice assistant a few years ago? Redmond was going for a sassy teen girl persona, and boy, did they succeed in a certain way. After a week on the Internet, Tay had become a foul-mouthed racist sociopath. Redmond had to put Tay in a timeout that, as far as we know, is still going on. Ay 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 machines, you're breaking your human parents' hearts. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, it's great to have you back. Hey, it's good to be back, Dave. Uh, saw an article come by. This was from FCW, which mm-hmm. is uh, Federal Computer Week. And the article is titled, Cyber Reskilling Grads Grow Skills But May Not Be Headed for Cyber Jobs. This mm-hmm. is written by Adam Masmanian over at FCW. Give us uh, the background here. What's going on? So the federal government, the office of the CIO, has this program called the Cyber Reskilling Academy. Mm-hmm. And it's designed to retrain feds for cybersecurity positions. And okay. They, they just graduated their first uh, cohort in July. 
Okay. Suzette Kent, who is the federal CIO, uh, said at a roundtable discussion that she's very happy with the outcome. They had 30 people who were selected from a pool of 1,500 people. Mm. So it's a pretty tough selection process. Right. Right. And these graduates uh, were able to get some credentials. They got the GIAC, which is a Global Information Assurance Certification, for Security Essentials and Certified Incident Handler. Now, here's the interesting thing. These people who were selected for this cohort were all from the GS-12 the GS-15 pay grades, right? These are people who are more senior in their careers. So the GS system is how government pay grades are, are ranked. Correct. The higher the number, the more you make. These folks have essentially trained and are now skilled enough to become entry-level cybersecurity workers, right? Thanks to this academy. Thanks to this academy. Okay. However, the problem with that is that the entry-level cybersecurity uh, positions usually rank around the GS-7 to GS-9 range, depending on how much experience and education you have. And that's substantially, substantially lower less. salaries. Yeah, it's not surprising to me that these folks are not moving on to uh, into the cybersecurity field. The benefit, I'm not saying this is a total write-off. That's not at all what I'm saying. I, I like the idea that you're taking senior people and introducing them to the skills and, and problems of cybersecurity. That is going to pay off down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a real shortage in this country of, of, uh, of cybersecurity workers, particularly within the federal government. So I think that they should be targeting this training towards people who are GS9 and below so that they can actually say to people, uh, government employees, we are going to give you an opportunity to move into this field where you'll have room for rapid advancement through the government mm-hmm. and not telling people in order for you to move into this high advanced field, you have to take a really huge pay cut. Right, right. Now, now I know, I mean, one of the things uh, from your line of work mm-hmm. at Hopkins, right. uh, sending people out into the world, uh, the government is a place where there are opportunities that there may not be in private Business. Correct. Well, one of the things that uh, I will say the, the U.S. federal government does is very well when compared to industry is that if you go into an entry-level position, they are not expecting you to have any experience. Uh, you might have to have a certification like an A-plus certification or a security-plus, rather, mm-hmm. certification. Uh, but that's relatively easy to acquire. That's a very low barrier to entry. You, right. you can take a training class, pass the test, and you will qualify for these for an, as an entry-level for a lot of these positions. So you don't see these these uh, requests for you to apply for a job where it's an, it says an entry-level position must have 10 years' experience. Right, and, and, a, and a CISSP. <laughs> and right, right, right. I, I've, I've actually seen entry-level postings that require a CISSP. Nobody mm-hmm. with a CISSP is going to take your entry-level $40,000-a-year job. Sorry, mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But the federal government actually knows that, and they actually do that very well. So perhaps what's out of alignment here is the notion that this program, this Cyber Reskilling Academy, Mm -hmm. is going to fill empty jobs in cybersecurity within the federal government. Yeah, I don't think that that's going to happen, at least not with what they did with the first cohort. Now, maybe Mm -hmm. the first cohort was a test. Uh, It was only open to people who were not in IT, which I find interesting. The the second cohort, which has already been selected, uh, is open to anybody. Anybody could apply for a position in the second cohort. I'd like to see what happens with this. Again, I don't diminish the value of the training for these GS-12 through GS-15 people. These are senior people who are who now have uh, a glimpse into the horrors that we <laughs> that we look at every day, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's important. It has real value. Yeah. All right. Well, it's interesting. Uh, again, uh, the article is over at uh, FCW. It's cyber reskilling grads grow skills, but may not be headed for cyber jobs. Uh, do check it out. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Oh,